0: Good morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to Hillhead at the Grosvenor. Our service this morning is being led by our Minister Katrina, and as always, everything we need to follow the service is both on our printed order of service and will appear on the screen behind me. Very special welcome to our visitors. Uh, we have Lena's parents here today, and they've just been celebrating their 45th wedding anniversary. <laughs>
1: Thank you, you, Anne. So it's good to be together to worship God this morning, and I've just picked up my paper and realised I haven't put an order to worship, which is a bit bad of me. But I remember these words, I rejoice when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord, and now our feet are standing in your courts, O Jerusalem. We have gathered in this place, in the name of Christ, to worship God. So let's join together in our opening hymn of praise, which celebrates the glory of the natural world, for the beauty of the earth, for the beauty of the skies, for the love which from our birth over and around us lies. Gracious God, to you we raise this our sacrifice of praise. And if you're able, you're invited to stand as we sing. Oh. Uh-huh. For this morning's service, I've chosen to take all of our prayers from the resource Gathering for Worship. And after I have led us in a gathering prayer, then of course, as is our custom, we'll join together in the Lord's Prayer in our own first languages, and it should be quite a good blend this morning. So let's pray together. Walk softly as you come here. For this is holy ground. God dwells in this place. God, the Lord of time and space, was here before us and is here now. Tread carefully as you come here. For this is holy ground. By God's life-giving word, every creature was spoken into existence and is loved into eternity. God, the Lord of abundant life, was here before us and is here now. Walk quietly as you come here, for this is holy ground. Now is the time and here is the place to listen intently to God's spirit within us. To see, as for the first time, the hidden depths of Christ's suffering for us. To look expectantly for the signs of God's kingdom around us. Holy God. Softly carefully, quietly, we come here celebrating your presence within us and between us this day and always. And as we do so, we gather our voices together, celebrating our unity in diversity as we pray in the words Jesus gave his friends, saying, the power and the glory, forever and ever. So today we're going to have a little bit of a quiz. I think the people who told me they particularly liked quizzes aren't here today. Isn't that just (laughs) the way of things? Never mind. Um, It's about best friends in the Bible. So Bible best friends forever question mark. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some clues. And see if you can work out or guess who it is I'm talking about. So the first one, two young men. One of them was the son of the king, and one of them was a former shepherd who would become the next king. Jonathan and David. Jonathan and David. it was indeed, yep yeah, David and Jonathan. And they had a very, very special friendship. Theirs is a friendship that is used very often to talk about what is possible for a relationship that's not um, a marriage-type relationship, a relationship of two people who just love each other as they are, and things like gender and sexuality become irrelevant. It's just two really, really, really good friends. It's not an entirely happy story, but it is a wonderful story of friendship. Another two men, one of them is older, and one of them is younger. They had quite similar names, and both of them were prophets. Mm, No, I don't think so, but good try. I think I heard this is an Old Testament story. The Old Testament?
0: Elijah.
1: Elijah and Elisha, that's right. Um, I got this quiz off the internet, so it's somebody else's de- description of who are the, the good examples of friendship. So Elijah was a prophet, and Elisha, or Elisha, as some people seem to say it, I, I grew up saying Elisha, but hey, whatever, um, was a younger man who, who kind of left everything to go and follow Elijah, and he desperately wanted to be like him. And the story has it that when Elijah went off to heaven in his... Chariot of fire, he dropped his cloak and Elisha picked it up as a sign that he took over for him. What I like about that is it's an intergener- intergenerational friendship an older man and a younger man. Okay, another intergenerational friendship two, young, two women, uh, don't ignore the bit that says two young women, two women, one was older, one was younger, they were both widows and the younger one left her homeland to go with the older one. Ruth and Naomi, that's right. So Naomi, who was a Jew, she was from the Hebrew nation, and Ruth, who was her daughter-in-law, and of course turns out to be a way, 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 way back human ancestor of Jesus. Uh, And Ruth said, I will go where you go, I will live where you live, I will die where you die. Your homeland will be my homeland. It's a story that I pondered I a lot when I moved up here. Now, this is a New Testament. No, it's not. It's another Old Testament one, sorry. Four men, one of whom experienced a great tragedy, and three of them sat with him in his sorrow, even if actually they went on to say some pretty daft things. Ah. Job. Job. Um, Is anybody really super clever and can do the names? (laughs) Ah, There we go. There we go. So Neil gets the prize if there was one. So Job, who the story goes, lost everything, but refused to curse God and die. And his three friends... Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Bildad being the smallest man in the Bible because he was Bildad the shoe height. Sorry, bad jokes. It doesn't translate either. (laughs) Sorry. Um, But what his friends did that was absolutely right was they sat with him for three long days. I think it was three long days. They sat with him. They didn't say anything. They just sat and let him be miserable. I think this is oh, – no, nope. this could be the last one. I'm not sure. Uh, two men. One of them was a famous missionary and letter writer who came from Tarsus originally. And the other one was – a Cypriot, as it happens. It doesn't say that. He was a Cypriot. And he was originally called Joseph ben Levi. Oh, straight in there, Jeff. Very impressive. Yep, it's Paul and Barnabas. So Saul of Tarsus, who we know as Paul – And Joseph Ben Levi of Cyprus, who we know as Barnabas. And it's those two that we're going to be thinking about a bit more today. So well done on that. Uh, You'll be relieved to know that's the end of the Bible quiz for today. But we're going to sing a song that I came across uh, this week. I have to confess, I don't know it. I had to um, do a bit of research to get hold of the music. Somebody eventually sent me a photograph of a page in the book that it's in, because the book's long since out of print. But I like the words, Jesus is the best friend, I'm glad that he loves me. has been our practice this summer rather than reading the story from scripture we hear a paraphrase. And today's story is about some of the first followers of Jesus and the start of the church as it spread out from Jerusalem to other lands. It's a story about four men. The first one we know best by his nickname Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So we can guess a bit bit about what he was like as a person. He was a Cypriot. He was a descendant of the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe. And he was living in Jerusalem. And there he sold some land he owned and gave the money to the leaders of the church. The second man we also know by a name that wasn't his first name. Coming from Tarsus in modern day Turkey, Saul was a devout Jew, a Pharisee, and a man who did everything he could think of to stamp out the Jesus movement. After his conversion on the Damascus Road, he was taken to Jerusalem, where he tried to join the disciples. But you know what? They weren't ever so keen after what he'd been up to. But Barnabas took him and spoke up for him. If it hadn't been for Barnabas, it would have been a very different story. We next hear of these two men sometime later, when Barnabas is sent by the leaders of the church in Jerusalem to a place called Antioch, and his job is to encourage the believers there. He then goes on to Tarsus to find Paul, who apparently has gone back home at that point, and bring him to Antioch to share in the teaching ministry. And one of the things I've read loads of times and had completely forgotten, it was Antioch, where the believers in Jesus were first called Christians. So Paul and Barnabas were there when the term Christian began to use to describe people like us who followed Jesus. Now, I have to say, at this point, the story gets a bit blurred. They certainly linked up with another man who was called John Mark, he'd been part of the Jerusalem church, and they took him with them when they set out from Antioch to Cyprus. What happened next, we don't know. But sometime later, we discover that John Mark has abandoned them, he's, he's left them, he's gone back to Jerusalem. But the church continued to grow and there were Jewish believers and there were Gentile believers and people began to ask questions about what it was, okay or not okay, for them to do. There was a big discussion about whether men who were Gentiles should be circumcised, because after all Christianity at that stage was still within Judaism. There were questions about what they could eat and what they couldn't eat. So, Paul and Barnabas came back from Antioch and Cyprus and Tarsus, where they'd been, and met with Peter and the other leaders to discuss what they should do. And they agreed that you didn't have to be circumcised and you didn't have to eat kosher food. They said you shouldn't knowingly eat food that's been offered to idols. And they said that you should be careful in your relationships. Your relationships should be chaste and loving. And a letter was written to express all of this. And Paul and Barnabas, uh, with two other people, called, one called Judas Barsabbas and one called Silas, delivered that to Antioch. After they delivered the letter, Judas and Silas went back home and Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch. Time passed. Time always passes in these stories, doesn't it? Paul and Barnabas thought, you know what? We really ought to go back and visit those other churches that we've been to. And Barnabas said, you know, I'd really like to take John Mark with us. But Paul wasn't having any of it. Nope. Paul said, he, he's let us down, he's not coming with us. And when I was writing this story, I opened up several different English translations of the Bible and they all use the same little phrase. It says that Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. It's very loaded, isn't it? They fell out is how we understand that. They disagreed so much that they couldn't be together. Golly. Barnabas was true to his convictions and he invited John Mark to go with him and they went back to Cyprus. Paul, on the other hand, chose Silas and they went off to Antioch and then to Syria and Cilicia. We don't know if they ever met again. Nothing tells us. We don't know if they ever made up after that fallout but there are hints and they're just hints that probably they did if we read the letters written by Paul later in his life he speaks very warmly of John Mark he speaks favourably of Barnabas and I can't imagine given what I know of Paul he'd have done that if he didn't mean it the gospel work continued. The work that these four men were involved with continued and it continues to today. We're going to have an opportunity to think some more about that story but if you want to do something different, we have all sorts and sizes of stuff in that room. Mostly it has to be said geared to younger rather than older, but that's fine. Um, We have some questions at the back and some paper and crayons if you want to doodle. But we're going to have some music so we can just sit quietly and reflect on that story before we move on into a spoken reflection. We've been using some Scripture Union material this summer and looking at the idea of teams. And I think that's that's really helpful and it's also been challenging. And the story they take us to this week is one that recognises the reality that children squabble and fall out, both at home and sometimes with their friends. And they use the story of Paul and Barnabas to help children to explore with some degree of authenticity the uncomfortable reality that choosing to follow Jesus, that being part of his team, doesn't make all that go away. And I think that is healthy, and I think it is valuable, because there is a myth that we can subscribe to, that Christians have it all sorted, and we never have any niggles or arguments or fallouts. Over the years, I have, in conversation with other ministers, heard many of them tell me how they hate Sunday morning because they and their family have sat around the breakfast table and there's been an argument with their partner. And the kids just will not behave and will not put their shoes on and will not get ready for church. And yet they arrive at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock and they paste on a smile and say what the gospel tells us. And I think that's true, not just for ministers, that's true for many of us. One of the things that I think has struck me, particularly of late, is the reality that I've actually spent most of my life living on my own. So I don't get that rough and tumble. I don't have the little niggles and the little squabbles that, that keep me grounded and remind me I'm not right and there is anybody else. So if I have a disagreement with somebody, it blows up in my head and becomes something bigger than it should. And because I'm being honest, I've had some struggles with my family of late. Because we don't all see eye to eye. And on Wednesday, I'm going down to Northampton to bury my mum's ashes on my own. So for me, working with this story this week has been challenging and uncomfortable. But it's also been healthy. And I hope I've learned from it. I've written quite a few sermons this week and torn them up. They weren't actually quite suitable for using. But what I want to say at the start is all of that has reminded me that I hear the stories from where I am in life, as do we all. We can only hear the gospel stories, the Bible stories, where we are and how we are. And how I'm feeling, how we are feeling inevitably affects what we hear and how we hear it. And as I thought about that, I wanted to try and think myself into the place of these four men, to look at the story from their perspectives. But there's a risk with that because it's my imagination (laughs) as to what they might have been thinking or what they might have been like Based on my experiences, you know, I can't untangle all of that. So, what I share comes with a caveat that I'm not Paul, I'm not Barnabas, I'm not Silas, I'm not John Mark, and I don't live in first century Jerusalem. But just maybe as we try to put ourselves in each of their places, we find something that's worth pondering a little bit. And because I'm going to be four people, it probably helps if I stand in four places, so you can tell when I've changed. So I'll start off with Barnabas. They call me Barnabas, the encourager. And I really try to live up to the expectations that go with that nickname. And it's true. I do try to see the best in people and I will try to stand up for people if I think they need a friend. I did that with Saul, or Paul as we call him, when he arrived after his conversion to the way. Everybody knew who he was. Everybody knew what he'd done, rounding people up and getting them arrested and executed. Nobody but nobody wanted to trust him. But I thought we should give him a chance, so I said so. And I went out of my way to befriend him, to go with him, to support him. And here's the thing, it seems that actually I was right. He had changed. My goodness how he changed and how he hadn't, because he was a force to be reckoned with. Once he got something in his head, he went with it. He was out there preaching, teaching, and it wasn't long before he was with Peter debating important matters. I was absolutely devastated that he reacted the way he did over John Mark. I mean, he was right. John Mark had let us down big time. He cleared off and left us to get on with what we were doing. But there had to be a reason. He'd got so much potential. And I just wanted to give him a second chance. After all, that that is what we believe, isn't it? Jesus said we should forgive people. (laughs) Not seven times not really even 70 times, but just endlessly. Go on forgiving people so many times you can't count it. It's not easy. But as I said, I try to see the best in people. I try to encourage them. So yeah, I was very hurt when Paul said no. And I feel guilty because I argued with him so strongly and I'm sad that we parted company but I suppose at the end of the day I've been true to myself. You need to understand what it's like for me, Paul, the one who has become this big character in the story, the one who wins if you like the one who will become more important with Peter. That's quite some expectation. I grew up so devout. I was the model student, I knew all the answers and I lived the perfect life. I thrived on the praise of others. And yes, I became determined to stamp out anybody who didn't conform. And then came that total turnaround. The reality is I was a stereotypical convert. I was far more zealous than anybody else and all that energy and determination I'd ever had found a new dire- direction as I followed Jesus. So. I really wanted to go to Jerusalem and be part of it. But nobody would trust me. Only Barnabas would give me a chance. And I'm so glad he did. Because soon, the two of us were entrusted to take the gospel. And it was amazing amazing to be able to speak to people, to share with people, amazing to have people who wanted to listen to what I, Paul, had to say. We took with us a guy called John Mark, well, frankly he turned out to be a liability. He left us high and dry and he went home. Not a word of explanation. So all that extra work that we had to do, I was tired and I was frustrated to say the very least, but we got on with it, what else could we do? When we were planning another trip and Barnabas suggested we take John Mark with this, I was astounded. Was his memory really that short? I wasn't having any of it. Forgive him, I will if I must, but it doesn't mean I can forget. I got really, really angry and I told Barnabas he had to decide, you come with me or you go with John Mark. Well, you know what happened next. I'm really sad that Barnabas isn't with me, I miss his encouraging words, his reassurance when I feel unsure. I wish we could have made a go of it, but I guess I have been true to myself. okay, I'm the one that messed up. I'm the one whose decisions and actions led to the fallout between Barnabas and Paul. I am so not proud of that. I've been so excited when they invited me to join them. It seemed like the adventure of a lifetime. And we saw some amazing things, we experienced some amazing things. It was hard. I missed my family. I felt inadequate. It all got too much and I ran away. A long, lonely, guilt-ridden trip home, trying to work out how to explain all this to the people who trusted me. So when Barnabas suggested giving me another chance, it felt amazing. This time, I I wouldn't let them down. I'd learned so much. I like to think I'd grown up as a result of my experiences and I really, really wanted to make a go of it. But Paul said no. He didn't do second chances it seemed, at least not for me. Maybe he was right. Maybe I wasn't cut out for this style of missionary work but I was so disappointed. Then I heard that he and Barnabas had fallen out and it was over me. It was my fault. Or at least that's what he thought. There were many sleepless nights, I can tell you. So when Barnabas said, come with me, and we set off together, I was determined to get it right this time. And you know what? It was actually good. It wasn't what it could have been if we'd gone with Paul. It's not what it might have been if I'd never messed up. But yeah it was good. I regret the hurt and the disappointment my actions caused, but I have learned from them and I think I have been true to myself. Never in my wildest dreams Could I have expected to become Paul's number two? It's amazing to travel with him, to meet the people and the churches I've heard about. And it is also pretty scary. I knew about John Mark and and the fact that he'd run away from a trip they'd all been on together. And I knew about the big fallout between Paul and Barnabas. And I was worried. What if I didn't live up to their expectations, to Paul's expectations? What if I did need a bit of encouragement? What if I messed up? (laughs) Or more to the point, what about when I messed up? Because we all do mess up, don't we? Would I be given a second chance? Or would I be sent packing? I'm really thrilled that I've been chosen and I'm really eager to do my best alongside Paul. I don't know how it will work out, but I guess I'll just have to be true to myself. So four men none of them perfect, an impossibly demanding mission in the service of God, among communities of believers each of which brought its own challenges and opportunities, a crisis and a massive disagreement, a story or perhaps more properly a set of stories that is similar to and totally different from our own. And I wonder if we find ourselves drawn to any of the characters or the events, perhaps, in this story. I wonder which characteristics are like our own, which feelings maybe echo our own. If there is a theme in this story, then maybe it's just to say that nobody is perfect. That everybody, sooner or later, will disappoint us or let us down. That everybody, sooner or later, will be let down or disappointed. And as I say that, I realise it can sound desperately negative. It can sound desperately demoralising. And it's not what we want to hear. So where's the hope? Where is the good news? I think the good news is what we all know. That God never, ever gives up on us. Not when we run away, not when we fail, not when we argue or fall out, not when we're frightened, not when we feel inadequate, whatever it is. God never, ever gives up on us. That's what the story is, I think, we've been looking at over the past few weeks have to say to us, imperfect people and a perfectly loving God, that everyone has something unique and important to contribute and that everybody matters. There is always hope, even perhaps if it doesn't feel much like it. There is always forgiveness. There will always be second chances, endless chances with God. And as I think about our church, as I think about the things we have shared together over almost nine years, I know there have been times when you've given me chances and there have been times when I've given you chances but we're in it together because we try to live what we believe that God loves us that God calls us that God equips us that God enables us that God encourages us to be who we are where we are serving his purposes, her purposes its purposes in this place at this time in a few moments we're going to sing a hymn which is well known that asks God to forgive us our foolishness and to reclothe us rightful minds and it's a hymn I've loved since childhood but it was one I I always heard as a being about being forgiven for sin really for the things I'd done wrong but perhaps there are other ways we can hear it perhaps there is a foolishness of, of being hard on ourselves a foolishness of feeling inadequate or unloved or unlovely or whatever it is So before we sing, we're just going to take a minute or two of silence to open our hearts to the God of eternal and unending love who longs to bring us to health and hope and happiness. So let's sing together. Our prayers of intercession, our prayers for others, come from gathering for worship. God of kindness, you gave your only son because you loved the world so much. We pray for the peace of the world. Move among us by your spirit break down barriers of fear, suspicion and hatred. Heal the human family of its divisions and unite it in the bonds of justice and of peace. We pray for our country and the countries we grew up in if they are different. Enrich our common life, strengthen the forces of truth and goodness, teach us to share prosperity, that those whose lives are impoverished may pass from need and despair to dignity and joy. We pray for those who suffer, surround them with your love, support them with your strength, console them with your comfort and give them hope and courage beyond themselves. We pray for our families, for those whom we love, protect them at home, support them in times of difficulty and anxiety, that they may grow together in mutual love and understanding and rest content in one another. We pray for the church. Keep her true to the gospel and responsive to the gifts and needs of all. Make known your saving power in Jesus Christ by the witness of her faith, her worship, and her life. Amen. we generous God. Please accept the gifts we bring this morning, the gifts of our money and the gifts of our lives, that all may be employed in the service of your kingdom of peace and good news and hope and healing. Amen. What a friend we have in Jesus. Let's stand as we're able and sing together. as we close let's use some words of the Apostle Paul to bless each other and then at the end of saying it we will sing our Amen. So it's the end of I think 2 Corinthians but I might be wrong because I'm never very good on chapter and verse but we do know it as the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit Spirit be with us all evermore. Oh.